Welcome to Season 3 of A New Voice of Freedom. The podcasts are taken from the four volumes In Defense of Christianity, written by Ronald Keith Messer. Podcast 174 is entitled Godly Sorrow. Sometimes, because we seek joy in sin, we are just sorry that we got caught. For godly sorrow worketh repentance to salvation, not to be repented of. But the sorrow of the world worketh death. 2 Corinthians 7.10 Many sincerely repent in prison because they are removed from the exquisitely decorated enticements of the orchestrated lights of the outside world. However, being forced to change because of incarceration, though it causes one to temporarily postpone behavior, does not automatically bring repentance. Postponing behavior and repenting of behavior are two separate issues. Like old Ben Gunn, while marooned on Treasure Island, who piously abstained from alcohol, but lost his fortune on drink the moment he was rescued. So it is with many who were forced by circumstances to live in seeming rectitude and to adopt the appearances of repentance without putting on the whole armor of God. It is not until one is tried in the fires of freedom that he or she knows whether they have truly repented. The Garden of Eden was a form of incarceration. Adam and Eve were not truly tested until they were cast out. It is opposition that challenges the soul and forges wisdom. One may halt the act of sin for a time because he was caught. But even in the safety of incarceration, in imagination one may nurture natural desires and remain in temptation's path until the opportunity to sin finds him. I had a friend who had a highly addictive nature. He was in and out of jail for he supported his habits by stealing. He confided in me that he was entirely free of drugs and alcohol while in prison. The day of his release, he would overdose. It was a pattern. One overdose nearly cost him his life. Pretension merely suspends our conscience while we lie and wait for opportunity. Even in freedom, some avoid the seed of sin to assuage a drowsing conscience, grumbling in unquiet sleep, but linger in the familiar path so that stock and temptation will catch them by a surreptitious surprise thus tricking their conscience and exonerating themselves of guilt. It isn't sin they shun, it is guilt. Guiltless sin is the saccharine that Satan sells to sweeten temptation. Those who run from sin in the light but wait for opportunity in the dark are like a spider that weaves her web in the path of the most treasured traffic. Oh, how crafty we must be to keep conscience from disrupting equanimity. As a ship that sits in salty water often collects barnacles, good works corrupted by idle intentions often turn to evil. Beware the seductions of charity. Many an innocent girl has lost her virtue through guileful charity. Anonymous says, Woe to those who pass the time with noble thoughts, but gorge on whatever guileful chance has wrought. False repentance is a gorged lion idly lying beside the unwary lamb. True repentance comes only when we change our desires and in turn help the helpless, not prey off them. It is from the inside out, not the outside in. Enforced virtue, like holding one's breath under water, endures only until the end of the sentence. Repentance requires a change of heart more than a change of place. If the heart does not change during times of distraction, no matter how long, then one runs back to sin at the first opportunity. True repentance never goes unnoticed. Even the angels assigned to watch over us rejoice when we repent. Jesus said, Likewise I say unto you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner that repenteth.
Luke 15:10. Is there a greater testimony anywhere of the importance of the one? How easy it is to forget that even the angels in heaven take interest in our actions. How much more would a loving Father in heaven take interest in the details of our lives? God sent his Son into the world to suffer on the cross so that we could repent. Every Christian rejoices in John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Equally important is the next verse. For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. When bad things happen to good people, cunning Satan tries to trick us into thinking that it is God's fault. If we are tempted to blame God for our misery, we should remember John 3.16-17. Some of us need to spend less time trying to blame God and more time trying to understand the ways of God. If John 3.16-17 and 17 are true, and most Christians, if not all, believe they are, then it follows that everything God does is for the purpose of giving us everlasting life and salvation. Satan has won a great victory when we blame God for our misery. Sin is the source of misery, but that sin is not necessarily our own. It can be someone else's. I remember once when a very popular movie star drowned. A bereaved fan blamed her tragedy on God and said, Why did God allow it to happen? Perhaps she should have asked the opposite question. What if God did not allow it to happen? What kind of world would we live in? We would be nothing more than robots, children forever confined to Never Never Land, never growing up, never learning, never having agency, never knowing joy because we would never know sorrow. That is not life. That is death in life. To not be conscious. To not be able to discern the good from the evil. To not have agency and free will. Adam and Eve may as well have stayed in the Garden of Eden, never knowing they were naked, never having children, one day just as the other, without opposition. In the great council in heaven, we chose to come to earth knowing that it would be hard. The only reason we chose to come to earth is because of John 3.16-17. It was our safety net. The atonement of Christ was not an ad hoc event. It was the plan from the beginning. We were only spirits in heaven. We wanted the earth experience. We wanted a physical body. We wanted agency and free will. We wanted to be like the gods, knowing good from evil, knowing sorrow, that we might know joy. Earth life is short for a reason, but it is the gate upon which eternity swings. Imagine the importance of repentance if even the angels rejoice. Only Satan has put it in man's mind that Christ enjoys our suffering. The entire purpose of his suffering was that we would not have to suffer forever because of the fall. If we allow it, for God will never take away our free will, the atonement of Christ, through our repentance, snatches us from the iron jaws of unfeeling justice. Christ alone, because of Gethsemane, knows the exquisite intensity of hollow hell, and it pains him to see us suffer, knowing that we could have so easily avoided it. He paid for our sins so that we don't have to. Only godly sorrow leads to repentance. We must develop godly sorrow. Godly sorrow, a near cousin to charity, comes in many forms. Godly sorrow may be sorrow for one's own sins, which leads to repentance. Another godly sorrow may be caused by another's sins, which, forgiven, leads the bruised one to acts of charity in behalf of a lost soul. Still another godly sorrow is for the pain and anguish of another, which is a Christ-like sorrow. 
Isaiah, speaking of Christ, informs us. He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. Isaiah 53, 3-4 Godly sorrow is also to forgive our enemies and pray for them, though they have done us terrible wrongs. Godly sorrow is the love of Christ, and the only way we can have godly sorrow is to understand what personal sorrow is. Without suffering, we can never know Christ. On record, Jesus wept. No record shows him laughing. It is Satan who laughs at our misery. Parents who suffer for the sorrow of a child, whether from sickness or sin, or from the multitudinous trials of life maleficent, know godly sorrow. Many pillows have been drenched by the involuntary tears of a grieving mother for her struggling child. If God sees a sparrow that falls, how much more attentive will he be when he sees a tear that falls in behalf of someone whom he also loves with a godly sorrow? If God counts the hairs that fall from our heads, he twice counts the tears that fall from our eyes. Every tear of a grieving mother for a wayward child is a prayer to God. Sorrow brings short days and endless nights, but still the sun must follow the moon and joy must follow sorrow. The righteous have this promise. For his anger endureth but a moment, in his favor is life, weeping may endure for the night, but joy cometh in the morning. Psalms 35 Thank you for listening. Watch for our next podcast. In Defense of Christianity is available at RonaldMesser.com